Welcome to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical telling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. This episode of Tenuous Links is brought to you by the Under Armour Hover Drive Golf Shoe. Phil, welcome aboard. Thanks, Damien. Good to be here. Now, these shoes, these are the ones that I wear out on course. I've been wearing them for a couple of months now. Been lucky enough, they've been a great sponsor of us. These things are incredibly light and they're outrageously comfortable. That was the thing that struck me the most when I first sort of picked them up was just the weight. There's just no weight to them at all. I mean, they, they feel as light as anything, which is really critical in a golf shoe is the cushioning, the stability and the weight. Well, it is for me. And the other thing is these things are spiked shoes. So a lot of people are not fans of spikes as a general rule. And That's you're me. not a fan of spikes, Damien. That's me. But these are the most comfortable spike shoe I've ever worn. In fact, I'm sticking with these for quite some time now. So if you're in the market for some new shoes, guys, make sure you check out the Under Armour Hover Shoe. These guys, not only are they a great sponsor of ours, but they really do make some fantastic products. But we don't start with things that we love, do we, Phil? No, we don't, Damien. And maybe to our detriment, we... We'd like to kick off with a little bit of the dark side. We need to get that negativity out of the way, get it out of the system, and then move on to what we like. So this week, Phil, what is it that you are hating? I know we spoke about negativity. I'm not sure whether I hate this domain or whether I have a... Maybe you're not trying hard enough. Uh, I know I'm trying pretty hard. Long drive championships. Yeah, contests or just championships? Well, the contest, the championships, you know, it sort of feels a little bit like golf clutching at straws or let's take – and I love the inclusive nature. So I actually love it in a sense. I love these elite athletes, uh, and this is the confusion. I love the elite athletes and seeing how hard they can hit it and how fast they can move a golf club. But it's so awkward in that – there's not any other sport that I'm aware of whereby actually they have a, like in baseball, do they have, and they may, have a long home run hitting championship, which are not the players who are the best baseballers in the world. Instead, what they do in the All-Star Weekend, they have their home run derby where they actually have the best players in the world hitting as far as they can. And that's the excitement of it is it's within the context of the elite game. So is what you're not loving about it or more to the point what you're hating about it or semi-hating or kind of sort of not really liking, is it more the fact that it's not golf? Like it's just, it's one aspect of golf, sure, but golf isn't just about driving. And you're seeing, seeing guys smash it that far. That's not the same game for you. It's just a bit of a sideshow. I suppose the equivalent for me would be the Olympics. So let's have the 100-metre sprint and then let's have the juiced-up 100-metre sprint and just see how fast people can run. But really it's because it is just that one element. It is just that, well, let's see how hard I can hit it. Not let's see – and golf is about the holistic side. You know, it's about the short game and the caressing and the variety of and shots. The creativity. That, that these guys might have, but the brute strength – so that's why I'm torn. So I hate it, but I – but do you I, also I, I, hate I it because you've it. never hit anything that could ever be described as long? Well, I say, I, I, I admire them. And I admire the athletes as a genuine admiration for the athletes that they are. And they work hard in the gym and you can see that. Um, be it in the ladies with, say, Phyllis Medai or in the in the men, some of the guys going around. I mean, they work hard on their technique and their swing. And I'm not denying that. I just don't know. Maybe it's not a hate, but it's certainly not a love. I'm, well, that's funny because something that I hate this week is very close to that. And it is just driving in general. I've it's had topical. a mare of a week. Now, you've been lucky or unlucky enough to experience that with me uh, just a couple of days ago. Oh, my word. I can't drive at the moment. I actually can't drive, and it is, it is driving driving me spare, funnily enough. Your ups and downs are quite remarkable in that you're up when things work well. It is quite exceptional, you know, making no bones about it. But I must say that your downs... Um, are often straight down in that when the club barely makes contact with the ball and you top it, 
Or, you know, you're certainly getting the, the boomerang idea. You're getting the curvature of the ball, which is good. I can't see myself coming back from this. Um, I mean, I've got to a point now where I don't – well, you saw me put the driver in the bag and just pull out the three-wood um, and then proceed to the top that. <laughs> you, you do love the three-wood, but I think it might be a little mission for Kipper to, you know, rather than trying to improve a game, to just be focused on that one sole aspect of it for you, long drive championships, <clears throat> for you it would be just getting off the tee. So I'm hating driving this week. Hopefully next week that can turn that into a love. Speaking of which, what is your love, Damien? Do you have a love? Do you go for some balance for me? Do you know what? And it, it has actually stemmed from being an absolute abhorrent driver the last week or so. Is I love, and I've been forced to do this, thinking creatively, sort of embracing that, that inner sevy that we talk about all the time. I put myself in some pretty ordinary positions the other day out on course off the tee. But boy, did it did it open up the mind to pull off some some pretty creative shots. And you were there to see at one point I'm right up on a mountain hitting down, hitting some crazy angles, really having to think my way to try and save a score. And it also highlights the, the golf course too when you can really be creative and, and think about it. And we were lucky enough to play at somewhere pretty special, Moon at, at the National. Yeah, the Moon um, course, outstanding. Whereby you, you have every green has got 400 shots that you can hit. Well, 385, 386 shots that you can hit. You can you can run it up, you can hit it past the hole, they can come back. And and Damien, as you say, you were put in a position a few times. I put myself in the position. Uh, you did put yourself in a position a few times whereby your mind needed to just open uh, up. And how amazing is it to just let the mind go a little bit and just say, what would Sevi do? And I guess that's one of the funny things about it was that I had to have a real down in order to find that big up, I guess. But anyway, was there, is there something that you've loved this week? Well, I think from my point of view, the creativity you talk about of creating golf shots versus the creativity of people's minds about what golf means to them and little what I'll call rituals. And one of them that I discovered that I loved, I was very fortunate to play with two very, very fine gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, neither of which were you. Ouch. Uh, and got to the first par three. We are playing at 13th Beach, um, at the beach course at 13th Beach, which is an amazing place to, to go. And we got to the first par three and out came a bottle of Stone's ginger wine. Oh, hello. I'm, I'm up and about now. So hang on. So this is an alcoholic beverage of some description? It, it is an alcoholic beverage. It's, a, it's like a fortified ginger wine, which I'd never had. And in fact, that was the first question that this gentleman said to me is, have you ever had this? And I hadn't. But being a fan of ginger and a fan of wine, it seemed to make a hell of a lot of sense. So he's got the bottle and he's handed everyone else a, a shot glass. Um, and this is a ritual that they have on every single par three. So pause it down, have a little bit of a sip of it, discover something I'm now in love with, which is a really positive side effect of the experience. But the, the fact that we then knew that the next par three was automatic. So uh, luckily one of the other guys had a spare shot because they weren't sure they were going to play with a third player on that particular day. So I had a cup that remains in my golf bag to this day that I'm waiting, maybe Damien, for the next time we play, and I'll and I'll uh, expose you to the stroke that was. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking already. Par three courses, Phil. Well, I, you know what I had. I have never asked them even what would happen if they were playing a par three course. But you know that you're going to have four shots in a round. Delicious, refreshing. Warm day or cold day, and I'm not here to you know run an ad for Stone's Ginger Wine. But the reality is, is the little ritual, and it wasn't the wine. Although I've discovered something else, it was the ritual. The fact that this is something that these two just automatically did: walk up to the third tee, Stone's Ginger Wine. There we go. And I love that. It just added another element to the whole game of golf and to the experience of the game. And I think there should be more of it. And you could do it. You could do it with a wide range of things. It wouldn't really matter exactly what it was. Maybe it. Maybe it's an orange juice for some people. Not our kind of people, but you never know. Like you could just. It's 
the whole idea of these rituals. I quite like it. And it actually sent me back. So I, um, growing up, played a little bit of golf with a mate of mine. And please don't keep going every time I mention the word mate. But his dad used to pull out the tin of board lollies. And so I opened one of those. And I knew that every time we got to play golf with his dad, that we'd also get that experience at the age of 14 or 15 of, of having a lolly, which at the time was exciting for And fitting for, for the me. way you're playing. Times had changed. A bit, but at the time it was exciting for me and it was something special to the round of golf. And I think there needs to be a lot of these, but it was such a nice discovery for me that I've embraced it, gone out and bought some. See, that almost sounds like a game changer itself. Talk about tenuous links, Damien. You are absolutely on fire today. Speaking of game changers, what have you got for us this week? One thing I think there needs to be a lot more of, as a rule, simply put, more match play. I love and match skins. play. That's what I want to actually ah. more than match play. I want to bring back skins. Now we've been playing this with some, you know, with some friends, group of friends, where we throw two bucks on a hole or ten bucks or whatever it might be. But skins matches are some of the most fun matches you're going to have, and the banter that comes out, which a lot of it we couldn't repeat here. Fantastic, love so it. So golf, golf is an individual sport. We understand that the golf is an individual sport, but when you have four people all playing skins, the amount of cheering for someone to hole a putt or potentially to miss a putt to save it, creates this team a real bond, a conversational bond, far more than shall I leave the flag in or out. Um, yes. But it's a really, it, it is an exciting thing. And I agree, going back to the good old days where Lee Trevino used to play with Jack Nicholas and these, you know, these skins events, these skins matches that used to be televised were unbelievable. But even the ones that we had here in Australia where um, I used to remember often sitting, it's a Saturday or a Sunday, sitting in front of the TV watching, uh, who would it have been? It would have been Grady against Peter Senior or... Well, the one that stands out to me that was the match play guru or, or my recollection being a match play guru was Peter Fowler. So they used to have the Mercedes, I think it was the Mercedes-Benz match play at Kingston Heath that, that certainly ran for a few years in a row. And I, I always remember that Peter Fowler invariably made the final or made the semi-final and he's just a match play machine. And I think that's, um, you know, born of a lot of the pennant golf that he's played and match play golf that he's played at a junior level here. But Damien, given your and my own likelihood of having an 11 on a whole you know, maybe going par, par, maybe this par, is why I love 11, it, yeah. you know, triple bogey. 11-3. Um, but match play keeps us in the game and skins keeps us in the game and keeps us engaged with it as opposed to a stroke round where you've had your 11. I'm mean, sure it was on a par three. You've had your 11 and the game's blown. But you can't make a, it back. Exactly. But it's just the banter of it all. We need to get back to having more banter on course. It's so much more fun. Well, particularly that's one of the key motivators that people, why we want to play golf. I want to, like, I don't want to be in a rush playing golf because I want to be able to talk complete rubbish with three well, other people. And that's why we also like to, you know, choose who we play with and, and look, because we're about to spend a good amount of time with them and we need some excuses to be away from home. So that's my game changer this week. Match play, but more importantly, skins. Let's get the skins happening again. Over to you. Have you got something that you think will advance the game a little bit? I just think that we've lost touch with, again, where we've come from. And I know when I started playing golf, I had maybe two or three clubs. You know, you started with a seven iron and then you get a five iron and maybe yeah, and you, on a birthday, set, you get a nine iron or an eight iron or, or otherwise. But to actually rip your set back and rather than taking 14 clubs to the first first tee or 13 clubs to the first tee, take seven. Or if you really want to challenge yourself and a few mates, even if you're playing skins, three club challenge. Three club challenge three skins. Club challenge, oh, wow. Which no, would trademark. Trademark three club challenge. Hashtag. In fact, hashtag three club challenge. Um, you want to let the mind go and you want to embrace your inner sevy or your inner anybody. Um, embrace your inner self, a bit like Tim Galway, but three clubs. What clubs might you choose, Damo? If you had to choose three. I know the first one that's out and that's <laughs> yeah, a goodbye driver. <laughs> possibly snapped in half. Um, what would I have? I'd definitely have a, well, you'd have a putter, you'd have a seven iron and I'd have, I'd probably have a three wood. 
Would I? Ooh. Yes. But this See, I is like the, this. this I'm is having the point because it, it really gets the mind going as to how where I'm playing, what the lay of the land's going to be. You know, like Hogan back in when he played the 1950 US Open, didn't carry a seven iron. Um, so it lets the mind go as to am I, am I more likely to be longer off yeah, the tee? Yeah, or would you ditch the putter and have a three iron because you've got two clubs in one? Well, putt with the sand, I mean, putt with the leading edge of the sand iron and that's what the pros do after they've snapped the See, putter. I find it easier to putt with a three iron than I would a sandwich. So yeah, that's, you're a bit strange. I but, am very. But well, it's every, every, each to their own. And I, but I think just let the mind go. Challenge yourself. What's your set? I want to throw it back at you. Three. Three clubs. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking five iron, nine iron, sand iron, a five iron, eight iron, sand iron. Because I can hit them as thin as anything. And I can scale oh, a five cool. iron. cool. You can make a five iron and a two some, iron. Oh, yeah. I can make a five <laughs> iron anything. I can make a five iron go right around a tree. Um I can't do the hosels on demand, but certainly I've been known to hit a few. But I think that's I think that's what I do. But it would depend a little bit on the the golf course if there was a series of short par threes. You know what? You just deal with it. In fact, probably more to the point, we should each have to choose the three clubs for the other one. Wow! So you're actually picking to their weaknesses. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you're playing three drivers. Don't I was going to say obviously we can't have multiples. Otherwise, what's the what's the point of even playing? Now, that's, that's a bit of a throwback to an old way of thinking, but not a bad one at all. But I want to actually throw us to, I guess, to the future for this week's gear effect and motorised buggies. Old band buggies? Motorised buggies. Well, yeah, interesting that you say that because that's been the common perception of it for a very long time. If you have a motorised buggy, it's a bit of an old man's golf. And but these days, when you look at the, the a lot of the newer ones, the moto caddies, for example, that are out there, these things are not for your old, necessarily for the older guy who, who can't get around. They're just... It's just taking an element of golf and giving it a bit of power and really taking some pressure off the pain and stuff that a lot of people have from other sports whilst playing the game. My problem is is that by referring to them an old man buggy, I don't even believe what I just said. Um, no, you just wanted to have a crack at me. They just make – they make sense. Like if you have the means to do it, it makes sense to not have to drag your clubs around the place. You play better golf. You know, we see pennant teams in um, in the UK. In the UK, I think it was, yeah. Um, you know, they all have electric buggies and a couple of pennant teams have, have been trialled, I know, in, in Victoria with electric buggies. You're, you're fresher. It's an easier walk. It's a more enjoyable walk, potentially not having to lug things around the place. And, and the reality is, is that the old stigma of electric buggies with these huge batteries, big heavy things, massive batteries that clearly called out, you've given up. They're slender and slick these days. Yeah, now they look like little racing cars, little Ferraris, little little Porsches, little racing cars that are just designed to make your life easier. But for those of us who have played, you know, physical sports, so football, rugby, any of these sorts of things, when you get to our age, chances are you've got some sort of niggling injuries. Um, Weak heart, for, for from me, my point of view. For me, back, shoulder, these sorts of things that, you know, used to play through with uh, injuries. Anyway, more to the point, these things actually really do help. I have a genuine – you've seen me. You've seen me play with it and without it. In fact, prime, maybe that was the problem the other day when we were out at Moona. That was the problem. Didn't have a motorised cart. Would have made the world of difference. Blame whatever you need to blame, I need Damien. to. I need something. I need some help. For mine, that's something that I think we need to see – more of. I know they're not that they're not that cheap, and which can be a problem for a lot of people. And fair enough too. But we do need to push it. I think as a as a concept and Just open take your mind the, to it. Take open your mind stigma. to it. And it's not an age thing. We were talking about in one of the other episodes of, of Tenuous Links. We were talking about choosing golf clubs or having golf clubs recommended to you based on handicap. This idea of having a buggy recommended to you based on age is just stupidity. If I'm playing a hilly golf course, then give me an electric buggy all day every day. 
and you're just going to enjoy, you are going to enjoy the walk. You're going to play better golf. You're going to enjoy the walk more. If you have the means, we highly recommend it. Uh, and if you don't, then just enjoy the game anyway. I would love to see golf clubs invest in this as as another option for hiring. Uh, and you see a few of the progressive ones do, and, and they're starting to. But uh, I think to really just say, you know, this is not an age thing. This is just a because I can. As we've touched on, they're not the cheapest of things. Um, you'd almost need to be a tool player to afford some of these contraptions, which brings us into today's trending, Phil. Well, it's a perfect, uh, well, it's not as tenuous a link as we normally go for is the obscene money that exists in professional golf. The obscene money. You think it's too much? Um, I do. When, when Rory McElroy wins, wins his $15 million for winning an event, yeah, and the last place, and I know it was only a field of 30, but last place gets 500,000 bucks. I reckon there's enough, there's a point of where money starts to become obscene and I'm not sure what that level is. So you're talking about the FedEx Cup, obviously. But I think, yeah, Rory for winning the FedEx Cup and getting $15 million I, I just doesn't sit quite right, but I'm not sure whether there's a point where it sits better, you know, whether, whether 10 million sits better than 15 million, probably not. Look, I think the FedEx Cup's been a, a really good way to um, excite the end of the season that was otherwise sort of drifting out once the majors have finished. But it's gotten to a point now because of the wraparound season and you're playing again the next week that oh, it's, it's sort of lost its way a little bit in my mind. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one um, and, and the best players in the world need a season ender and it's interesting is that as soon as the wraparound season does start but it's also here's your next chance. So here's the, the also-rans now get to start competing or they get to start travelling around Europe. Some of them get to go and play in the Porsche Open. Some of them get to move large pieces of sand and call them loose impediments. But it's a good chance for the best players in the world to go around the world exposing the game and, and getting the people into the game. But yeah, my, my issue was really about the money. I know Jack Nicholas feels that it was just... Just a natural progression almost. A, a natural progression. And in fact, they, they see it almost as a badge of honour that, that the previous generation to Jack Nicholas worked hard to get for him to get the money and he's worked hard for the, the players to get the money. And as more and more players turn their back on lucrative endorsement contracts and really go down this track of choosing what they want to use, then maybe the money does need to be generated from their playing as opposed to from their contracts. And if Rory McIlroy was paid nothing to use his gear and won $15 million, then maybe I'd be a bit more okay with it. But I just think there's a fine line of... of where it gets to. Well, mine this week is actually around a pretty cool tournament that has no prize money, and they're all the all the big guys are going to be here for all of them. Many of the many some <laughs> pending, President's pending Cup surgery. trending this week. President's Cup. I'm really I'm actually getting starting to get excited about this. Now we're going to be there. Golf Barons are going to be on site doing some doing some filming there. Watch out for that. That's going to be a bit of fun. But I'm actually pretty excited about this year's President's Cup. I know there's a lot of negative Nellies around, but for mine, I think it's actually going to be one of the better ones. It's at Royal Melbourne. Obviously, we love it. Best players in the world. Best golf course in the world best weather, we're going to see a golf course that its defences, and I think you know, one of the challenges, we're going to see a golf course that its defences is the design of the golf course itself, is the speed of the green. And there will be the classic hot northerlies and, and I look forward to seeing exactly what the weather does dish up because it can change the way the game is played at one of these old world Absolutely entirely, golf yeah. course. Within, within two days, like a, a day of heat, some rain, changes the course entirely. But we we love it. Royal Melbourne is heaven. And funnily that you say that because it is actually my dreaming for this week. Royal Melbourne Golf Course, during or after the President's Cup, how good would it be to get out on that course and, and smack some ball when it's in its absolute pristine, most perfect condition? Sure, it'll, it'll be difficult, but lightning fast greens, which is good for me because the less of a stroke I need to make, the less I can mess up my but as a rule, as a rule, I'm really looking forward to it. And that's one thing that everyone who's lucky enough to go to Royal Melbourne and have a look at the course, it looks so infinitely playable that there is that, I wish that was me. There's a, there was a feeling every time with every shot, 
oh, I wish that was my ball on the fairway and, you know, I could just play from here or what would you do? And the conversations continue through the ground the whole way along. And you also get to see exactly how good these players are. But Royal Melbourne will bear its teeth and I can't wait for it to bear its teeth and remind everybody why it is held with the esteem that it is held. But it was interesting as part of the conversation around Royal Melbourne, um, we were talking the other day around how much would you be prepared to pay to get on one of these golf courses and how the, the grass is always greener or the couch is always greener depending on where you where you sit. And, and the fact that Royal Melbourne, because it's within reach, so as an international visitor... For example, they might have to pay four hundred bucks. I'm they not sure. wouldn't even they wouldn't even bat an eyelid at it, and wouldn't bat an eyelid because I'm getting to play Royal Melbourne. In a way, it's kind of like our Pebble Beach. Uh, it is. It's our iconic, our aspirational. Yeah, we, we want to go over to Pebble Beach and play it. And you go, oh, that's five hundred bucks. That's six hundred bucks. Yeah, yep. There you go. Happy days. This is a life, you know, once in a lifetime experience. I guess that's the question. I suppose you're getting to. Would you pay the five hundred bucks to play at Royal? Or, or potentially, do we see Royal? Yes, do we see Royal a little bit differently because it's in our backyard, as opposed to Pebble Beach? And therefore, you know, you talk to you know someone from California, and they'll say, "Oh, you know, I'd, I'd love, I'd pay five hundred dollars to play Royal Melbourne in a heartbeat, but I'd never pay that to play Pebble." Yeah, because it's in my, here, in my back. It's in, my, in their backyard. backyard. And I would sit here saying, "I love Royal Melbourne, and I love yeah, Royal I know Melbourne." You do. Would I pay five hundred to play Royal Melbourne? No, I wouldn't. No. But would I pay five hundred to play Pebble? Yeah, I probably would. I would, yeah. I would. And it's interesting just that it's that a mentality idea. though, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's simply this is what this is ours, therefore we shouldn't have to not even we shouldn't have to. I'm just it's just a different mindset. But it'll be absolutely magnificent. Beautiful facility. They'll have it looking absolutely perfect as they always do the ultimate place in Australia to host any tournament and in many respects it's a travesty that the President's Cup will be the, the only tournament there for a little while hopefully we'll see some sense prevail and get the Australian Open back there before yeah, too be long nice at some point or, or someone will create another event but Royal Melbourne needs event golf and this dreaming of Royal Melbourne it's almost a sandbelt dream for a lot of people as well going across it I mean we've talked about Pebble so over at Pebble obviously you've got a whole peninsula there that you just want to get involved with the Monterey Peninsula well, it is, and it's such a beautiful drive you know, up Highway 1, but when you get into Carmel and around Pebble Beach, there are golf options galore and all of them are aspirational and all in a really tight area. Every last one, yeah. Yeah, and so in many respects it is it is the sandbelt or our version of the travelling sandbelt. So you've got Pebble and you've got, and not that you can get on there, but you've got Cypress Pebble. Cypress Point. Cypress, you've got Spanish Bay, you know, which are all, all incredible, and then Spyglass. I mean, imagine being able to string them together in, you know, over four days. That'd be some week, wouldn't it? Uh, it'd be some week. It'd be some... Um, There'd be some loan that you'd have to take out to get on. And I'm, and again, I will not stop until I find out how I can get on Cypress Point. I, I don't know yet how. Certainly Kipper hasn't been able to help us. No, no, he, but he hasn't been able to help us with anything, really. No, not even yardages at this point in time <laughs> or how to hit a fairway with driver. Oh, no, I need to get some lessons. Um, but it, but just that whole idea of where it is, a, you know, it's not just one location. It's not just it's one destination. Whole region. So you come to the yeah. Sandbelt and you want to play Royal and you want to play Vic and Kingston Heath and Metro and work your way through there just as the same way. If you're going to go to Pebble Beach... You know, if you're going to go hard, more than you might as well go hard and play a number of the tracks. Well, now, Phil, it is time for this week's history lesson. Have you got something that's going to inspire us this week? I 100% do not have anything that's going to inspire you, Damien, because that would actually start to interest you rather than bore you as the history lesson does. They have been. No, that's unfair. That's a bit harsh. No, 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 it is harsh but fair. But my history lesson this week is actually about one of the most iconic photos that has ever been taken in the game of golf. The one iron, Ben Hogan. 1950 US Open at Merion. You know, a lot of people in there as golf iconic imagery and golf iconic photos will have that photo of the one iron taken from directly behind Hogan with his second shot uh, into the 18th hole at 
the 1950 US Open at Merion. Have you have you worked out who it is, who took the shot? So the photographer was a famous photographer by the name of Hy Peskin, who was a very, very famous um, sports photographer. But one of the interesting things, and in fact, two interesting things around the US Open and the 1950 US Open at Merion with Hogan. One is that he played the tournament without a seven iron in his bag. And when asked why, he said, because there just wasn't a seven iron yeah, shot. Yeah, that's right. There's not there a seven iron shot. There just wasn't a seven iron shot around Merion. Imagine being that good. You talk about the three club challenge. Imagine being that good to say, well, I obviously don't need seven iron, which I, I don't even, I can't fathom how good. There's no gap. There's no gap wedge shots on this one. <laughs> I'll leave I can't that even bag. begin to contemplate how good that was. But the second one, and I think this is the most fascinating one from a photography point of view and having an eye for a moment, High Peskin only took, followed Hogan around for the whole 18 holes in the last round of the US Open. He took one photo. He only took one photo, and that's the photo. He took one photo of Hogan for the day, and the photo that he took... He he followed him for 18 holes, and he took, as a photographer, and he took one photo. Well, one, we're talking about 1950, but secondly, so it's it's not like digital cameras. But he had such a good eye that he just said none of the other photos or or none of the other positions just look right. You'd have to be be pretty confident, wouldn't you, that I haven't got the shot yet, it's coming. Imagine that. What hole was it on? It was on 18. On 18. It was on 18. It's called the one eye. I mean, it's the most famous photo in golf. Are we sure he didn't panic and just go, I've got to get one here, and he just got it lucky? It it actually doesn't matter. And luck sometimes, you know, fortune favours the brave. But one photo for the day which is incredible that it remains one of the iconic images to this day and, in fact, adorns the wall of my office as it does many offices around the world. So your history lesson, Damien, as terrible as it was, High Peskin, the one iron shot, Ben Hogan, 1950 US Open at Merion. Unbelievable story. Loved it. No, it's been fun again, mate. Enjoyed having you in. Thank you, Damo. Can't wait till next time. Yeah, it should be good. For those of you who haven't yet subscribed, please do go over to golfbarons.com and uh, sign up there for free and um, make sure you get all of the things that are coming up. And we also want to say special thanks to today's sponsor, Under Armour and the Hover Drive Shoe. Make sure you go and check them out. Until next week, Phil. Can't wait. Thank you.